Friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Dennis Parish. In order to fully understand the significance of the Eucharist, we have to go back all the way to the very beginning of our story, and that is to the Garden of Eden, to paradise. God created paradise and put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and told them they could eat the fruit of all the trees except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they could not eat of it or even touch it or they would die. And that's a beautiful way, a poetic way of saying, do not try to decide for yourself what's right and wrong. I am God and you are not. I cannot be wrong. You can. You can make a mistake. Just because you think it in your mind and feel it in your heart doesn't automatically make it right. Listen to me, follow what I tell you, and everything will be fine. But we know, of course, what happened. Satan tricked them, and they committed original sin. And with that, death was brought into the world, Satan's key weapon, and all the evils that we know in the world came from that moment. Now, after they had ruined everything, God had a couple of options. He could have said to them, Huh? I told you not to do it. Well, you did it anyway. Fine. You wanted to eat the fruit of the tree. Now suffer and die and you know, just go with the devil into his kingdom. Unthinkable because he loved us too much for that. And he realized also that Adam and Eve were tricked. They weren't deliberately thinking they were doing something wrong. The second option he had was to say to them, OK, well, you know, I'll fix it up this time. You know, and uh, just make sure you don't do it again. OK, have you learned your lesson? which couldn't be done for many reasons, one of them because Satan's power was already in the world, but a second reason that he knew about us. And ask yourself this question, have you ever hurt somebody else really badly and later felt horrible about it? And you said to yourself, how could I have said or done that? What was wrong with me? So you're big about it, you go to the person and say, listen, I'm not gonna make up any excuses and claim I was having a bad day or anything. What I said, what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry from the depth of my heart. Will you forgive me? Well, hopefully the person will say yes. But do you wanna leave it there? Do we not feel like we wanna do something on top of it and say, all right, no, let me do something. Let me take you to dinner. Let me do a chore for you, something, whatever it may be. Maybe you can't pay back drop for drop for everything you did to the person, but you wanna do something. We all know the saying, actions speak louder than words. Is that, okay, I said I was sorry, but now I wanna do something to make it up to you. Without that, we know that the other person could be, we'd be forever bowing before their magnanimity. And they could turn to us at any time and say, just remember what you once did to me and I let you off the hook. No, Jesus knew that for us to have our dignity and move on, yes, we had to say we were sorry, but we also had to do something to pay back the price. Otherwise, we'd be forever bowing before his magnanimity. And he didn't want us doing that. He wanted to say, okay, you said, you said you were sorry, you did something, now let's put it in the past and move on. The only problem, as St. Paul tells us, is that the wage for sin is death. And for every one of us to properly pay back to God the price for our own sins, we'd have to break our body and spill our blood in a bloodbath offering to him. And God didn't want that. He didn't want us all going around killing ourselves. So from the earliest days, he initiated animals. A sacrifice. And people would offer usually a sheep or a lamb. If they were richer, a bull, or poorer people, a pair of turtle doves. 
And the animal would be slaughtered, and the person was supposed to watch the animal bleeding and dying, and was supposed to say, I should be doing what that animal is doing. That animal is dying because of my sins. And it's supposed to move them to compunction, a healthy sense of guilt for our sins to say, I better not sin anymore so that no more animals have to die because of me. But it became too easy, especially once the temple was built in Jerusalem and people got somehow the bank account mentality that as long as you killed enough animals to make up for your sins, you were good to go. And so it was commit a sin, kill a sheep, commit a sin, kill a sheep, commit a sin, kill a sheep. And they would leave money with the priests in the temple and say, offer a sheep a week for all of my sins. And somehow they figured that everything was fine. And so we hear the psalmists and the uh, prophets saying, thus says the Lord, do you think I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? I don't want any more dead animals. I want a change of heart. I want you to follow me. And even when it was being done properly, it was still vicarious suffering. It was still an animal suffering for the human being. Somewhere there had to be the human being who made the sacrifice to God to pay back the price for our sins. And we were kind of in a catch-22 situation because it would take a lot of theology to explain this. But for now, if we can just accept that in order to be able to offer that sacrifice for sin, we'd have to be perfect. But none of us is perfect. We're conceived with original sin. So therefore, there was nothing we could do about it. Only God could save us. God himself, by becoming a human being, dwelling in our world, he, as a perfect human being, now could offer the sacrifice for our sins. And so we can very easily say that the whole purpose of the wood of the manger was the wood of the cross. He was literally born to die for us. That's why he came into the world. And now we had the sinless person who offered himself willingly to the Father in his death on the cross. And when he died, he entered into Satan's kingdom and rose again and harrowed hell and made a path through it. So that now by his resurrection... You and I, even though we will die, it will not be the entrance into hell, but the entrance to heaven in the entrance into our salvation. And Christ worked that for us, but only God himself being the one able to make the sacrifice for our sins. And many of our Christian brothers and sisters leave the story there and they say, and now Jesus is risen and he gives salvation to you. So be baptized and follow him. And that's the end of the story. But there's still something missing, isn't there? It's still vicarious suffering. It's still Jesus suffering for me. Where is my body? Where is my blood? How did I offer myself to the Father? Somehow, Jesus' death on the cross has to be my death on the cross and your death on the cross. Something has to make us be with him there on the cross so that when he died and rose from the dead, you and I died and rose with him also. Something has to bridge the gap. And the thing that bridges the gap is what Jesus gave us the night before he died, the Eucharist, his body and blood in the form of bread and wine. For now, as you know, when we come, anything we eat, our body is made of the food we eat. Now we're taking God himself. Do you realize when we come to the altar, a miracle takes place here. Bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Jesus by the words of the priest. And he changes it, leaves it in the form of bread and wine, because if he changed even the appearance into human flesh, who could possibly eat it? 
So as St. Thomas Aquinas explained, he changed the substance into his body and blood, but left the accidents, the appearance of bread and wine so that we could easily consume it. And now he enters us and we're made of the food we eat. So Jesus enters into us. Our body is made with him, uh, made up of him. And so we are one with him. We are part of his body. And that means every time we receive the Eucharist, we are there on the cross with Jesus, suffering and dying and rising again over and over again for the forgiveness of our sins. And if what we receive at Mass is not truly his body and blood, but just a piece of bread that remembers that Jesus, the night before he died, had a meal with his apostles, well, it does nothing for us. And the gap is not bridged, and we're still in our sins. No, by receiving the Eucharist, we are there with Christ on the cross every single time we come to receive it. And if you could imagine the day Jesus died, some cell on his body somewhere that maybe never shed any blood or never felt any pain, on the third day when he rose from the dead, would we say only the parts of his body that shed blood or felt pain rose from the dead? No, of course not. The whole body rose. You and I are like cells on his body that were spared the pain and the bloodshed, but we truly are risen with him. And what a wonderful gift Jesus has given us. You know, sometimes I hear people say, God is not fair. And I say, you know what? You're right. God is not fair. And I'm very glad he's not. Because if God were fair, he could say this. Well, now, wait a minute. That's not fair to me. I didn't sin. They sinned against me. Why should I go down and take on their flesh and die on the cross for the sins they owe against me? No, no. I tell you what, Father. Any one of them who dies on the cross, if they're willing to do it, they did the crime, let them do the time, and then we'll receive them into our kingdom. And would that be fair? Absolutely. How could we say there'd be anything wrong with that? We pay back the price for our sins. But the Lord loved us too much and said, no, I will not make you do it. I will do it for you. And I will give you my body and blood as food so that you will be with me on the cross every time you receive it. And when we think of that, we would ask, wow, how could anybody deny that? How could anybody not want to accept that? It's as if the Lord has said to us, okay, I'm going to give you two options here. One, you can come down and you can die on the cross, have the nails and the spear and the, the thorns and the scourging. You can do all that or I'll do it for you and you just come and receive my body and blood worthily every Sunday. Which one would you choose? It's a no-brainer. Of course, who would not want to choose the communion instead of having to physically die on the cross the way Jesus did? Who would not want to accept that? Who would turn that gift down? You know who does? 75% of our Catholics. 75% of Catholics make an excuse for why they don't think they have to come to church on Sunday. Oh, I don't get anything out of it. Oh, I work all week. That's my morning to sleep. Oh, the kids are in soccer. We're all too busy. And they deprive themselves of the most precious gift we've been given, the forgiveness of our sins, that every time we come to Mass, Christ is calling us into union with him in his sacrifice on the altar. Some critics look at us and say, well, how can you Catholics call the Mass a sacrifice? Jesus offered the once-for-all sacrifice for sins when he died upon the cross. And they're right, he did. That's why we don't offer any other sacrifices, why we don't offer lambs anymore. Jesus offered the one sacrifice for sin. But the Mass is not another sacrifice, it's the very one and the same sacrifice. 
The word in do this in remembrance of me, the Greek word is anamnesis, which means do this to make what I'm doing forever present for you. So I like to think of it as the Lord has set up a power strip throughout all of time that anytime we come to Mass, we can plug in and receive the power and the forgiveness of our sins from his death on the cross by receiving him worthily in Holy Communion. And every time we do it, our sins are forgiven over and over again. What a precious gift the Lord has given us. And I think if, first of all, I'm convinced that So many of the problems in the world today would be completely gone. Our world would be a much better place if people could simply understand the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and what the Lord has given us. If they could understand it, I think they'd be breaking down the doors of the church to come to Mass and never looking for excuses as to why they don't have to go. And maybe we might, by truly understanding the Eucharist, cease talking about our Sunday Mass obligation and start talking about our Sunday Mass privilege the privilege that we have to come and be with Christ on the cross in a bloodless and painless way, but to have our sins forgiven. What a gift that is. Today, the church is entering into a three-year Eucharistic revival, starting today with the Feast of Corpus Christi until the year 2025. Why do we have it? Because we need it. Our world is broken. Our lives are broken. We need to be healed. We need the power of Christ in his real presence in the Eucharist. And we need to remind all the rest of the world that God is here. He's with us. He's in our tabernacle all the time. He'll be soon in our hands and in our mouths and in our bodies. He will be with us. God has come to be with us and show us the way to make the world right, to correct all the errors of sin. All we have to do is follow him. And if we could do that, what a difference the world would be. Imagine if everybody in the world acted just like Jesus. What a very different world we'd have. All the pain, all the hatred, all the nastiness that we're experiencing would be gone because we've learned the love of Christ and followed it as his disciples. And so, my brothers and sisters, let's pray today and every day during these three years for this Eucharistic revival to be successful, that we will be able to bring our loved ones who don't come to church back and say, hey, come and see what you're missing. Come and see what Christ wants to do for you. And how many times I've had people that somebody finally got them to come to church and they said, all right, I'll do it. And they say, boy, I feel so much better about myself because I have. Why didn't I do this sooner? And pray about somebody that you can bring back, that you know needs to come back to Christ and his sacraments. But let us pray for that today, that the Eucharistic revival will take um, root in the world, that it will be widespread. It will be like a wildfire catching on everywhere, and people will come to truly understand the beautiful gift of Jesus in the Eucharist. Ave verum corpus natum ex Maria Virgine. Hail, true body of Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. Be for us a foretaste of the Paschal Feast of Heaven. Alleluia. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carosa. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carosa, please visit www.fathercarosa.com.